All right, guys, welcome back to the Strength Enhanced Podcast. This is episode 10. Today, we are talking about initiative. I want to take this moment to encourage you to take some initiative by liking the podcast, downloading it, subscribing, sharing it, leaving comments. If you want to leave comments, send them to my Strength Enhanced Podcast email at strengthenmyhands at gmail.com. I'll leave a link in the description. It's so important to me that this podcast gets heard by as many people as possible. And all of these things, the likes, the comments, the shares, they help the algorithm. They help people hear about it through word of mouth. I really, really just want these messages to go out to all the young men who need to hear them. So please help me by doing that. If you want to support this podcast, I want to remind you that there is podcast merchandise that you can purchase, Um, a shirt, a sweatshirt, a hat. You can find all those at my Etsy shop. I'll leave a link in the description for that as well. I appreciate you guys so much. And now we're going to hop right into the question of the day, uh, which is, what is your happy place? Uh, This is the place for you where you find yourself at peace. You find yourself just relishing life and making great memories. So I have two places that immediately come to mind. One is in my prayer closet. Um, This is where I spend the first hour or so of my day every day um, where I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm listening to worship music, I'm just communing with God. I have made so many amazing memories in these places because um, a lot of the times that's where I find myself to be most vulnerable. I'll have things that I just need to get off my chest, things that I need to confess to the Lord that I've messed up and find forgiveness from Him. It's just a place that is special to me. And then the second place is on my living room couch with my wife watching Hallmark movies. We love watching Hallmark movies together. She especially because that's what she grew up on and she loves bright colors, happy music, and cute love stories. So you can't really go wrong. I like them because they're inspiring. They are clean. That's one of the biggest things to me. And they are just fun to watch. And I love how much my wife loves them. So that's a happy place for me is just spending time with her on the couch. For you, this could be anywhere. It could be a forest scene. It could be on the beach. It could be uh, hiking up mountains, wherever. So if you have somewhere that is a special place for you, I would love for you to send me an email, strengthenmyhands at gmail.com. And that would be really fun to see. So initiative, we're talking about initiative today. This is such a huge topic, multifaceted, I could have gone on forever making the notes for it, but I didn't. And so I'm going to leave you with what I've got, but it is a lot. So I want you guys to strap in, get ready, because initiative is a huge, huge deal to me. And I think it should be a huge deal to you. What is initiative? It is the ability to assess and initiate things independently without anything but your own ability to look around, see what ought to be done in the world and go out and do it. That's what initiative is. And It's tricky because it's not something that you can necessarily produce in yourself. You have to naturally have that in you to see something and go fix it. Some people are really good at this. They will see someone walking, carrying bags. They need help. They'll rush over to them and say, here, hand me one of those bags and I'll help you. Some people need to be trained to do this. I know for me, I'm not a person who naturally has a lot of initiative and it's not a good thing. I'm the kind of person who will sit in a room that is just a few degrees too cold and I'll just be like, huh, it's kind of cold in here. And then I'll just leave it at that. It's not until somebody will walk in and be like, it is freezing. Somebody get me a blanket or turn up the thermostat. Why have you not turned up the thermostat? I'll be like, you know what? That's a great question. I have no idea. I was cold too. 
I uh, just kind of accept things as they happen to me. And I don't want that to happen to you because that's a silly example. That's a small example, but that principle that we let life happen to us rather than us going out and affecting life, that can be dangerous if we don't take those steps in bigger areas of our life. This podcast is for young men, right? And that's why specifically, I think this is a critical, crucial thing to talk about because this is the time in our lives, uh, late teens, early 20s, when we are choosing between different paths that could take us in two totally different life directions. And so it's important that we are not just being dragged along by other people or by the whims of life, but we are thinking ahead and we are taking active steps to find out what do we want in our lives. We are assessing, we are saying, how can I make my life the best it can be for me and for the people whom I love around me? So when you're choosing a college or you're choosing who you want to marry or you're choosing what career you would like to have eventually, These are big things, big decisions that must be made. And if you don't take initiative and you let other people dictate to you what you should do, you're going to be in a hard spot in 20 years. And I don't want you guys to be in that spot. So here's one example of this. My wife is a entrepreneur. When she finished college, she did two years and she decided, you know what? College is not for me. I don't really think I need a job that requires a college degree. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be an entrepreneur. She had looked around in the world and she saw that there were not enough cute Christian clothing companies. Um, And she said, you know what? I think I could, I think I could make a really great Christian brand. So she went out and she got licensed. She bought equipment. She bought inventory. She started producing her own clothing. And this has turned into a business and a passion for her. And this was her going out and saying, what do I want my life to be? Oh, that's what I think it should be and I'm going to make it happen. That's a powerful thing. She did not let life happen to her. She made things happen for herself. She assessed, and then she initiated independent of what anybody else thought. She believed that God had given her something um, that she needed to cultivate and to grow, and it's turned out to be really great for her. So if anybody is out there looking for cute Christian clothing, her store is called Convo Collections. Uh, You can find her on Etsy. She has her own website. It's mostly girls' stuff, which is fine. Um, But if you are out there and you want to buy shirts for your girlfriend, that's a great place to go. So just keep that in mind. A second example that I want to give for taking initiative in this stage of life, this period, is in dating. So when I first started dating, I talked about this a little more in my dating episode. I did not take the initiative in that relationship. She actually asked me to date her. I didn't actually really have strong feelings for her at the time. We were good friends, but I did not feel um, romantically attached to her in any way or attracted, but I ended up dating her. And I realized that was a big, big mistake. There was good that came out of it, but I said, I'm never doing that again. I am going to make sure that the person that I date is someone that I am truly infatuated with. It's someone that I truly want to be with. And so that's important for you too. You may not be in that same situation where you're being asked by a girl to date her, but you may be in a situation where you're dating someone who you know in the future is probably not going to be the best person for you. That's not good. If you are in that situation, it takes extra initiative to say, you know what, I'm looking ahead and I don't think this is going to work out between the two of us. And so then you need to seriously consider what you're going to do. Are you going to stay in that relationship that you know is not going to lead where you want to go? 
or are you going to get yourself out gracefully and uh, humbly? So these are two examples of why it's important to have initiative, why it's important for us to have initiative right now as young people, because it's going to affect the way that we live our life. Now, I would guess that there are people on both sides of the spectrum listening to this, that there are some people who have a natural proclivity for initiative and people who are more like me, who don't even think I should get up and change the thermostat. So no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, what I want to tell you is that initiative is a good thing. If you don't have a lot of it right now, you should get some. If you have a lot of it, that's great, but I want to caution you that this can be a stumbling block for you as well. God wants us to have initiative, but he doesn't want us to think that we are in total control of our world. And so we have to look at it under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, not to be lazy and not to try to do everything in our own strength. It's a mix of both. There's somewhere in the middle that we have to find. I'm going to talk to the people who are like me first, the people who kind of ride the waves of life. Don't try to rock the boat too much. Don't take chances. I want to encourage you to listen to what the Bible has to say about initiative and how good it can be. So this is reason number one of three why you should have initiative if you don't already. God is a God of initiative. There are three verses I want to read here that talk about God's initiative nature. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Revelation 20.12, and 15, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So God is a God of initiative. He had a plan before the beginning of time. He is working in the plan currently, and he is going to finish the plan. God decided it would be good if there were heavens and an earth. So I'm going to make that happen. And he spoke and it was. Then he decided it would be good if there was mankind. They'll be the apex of my creation. I'm going to create them. He breathed life into Adam, the man whom he had formed from the dust of the ground. But Adam fell into sin. He and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and separated themselves from God. And we separated ourselves from God by doing the same thing, breaking his commandments, the ones that he has clearly laid out for us. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, all of these things that we know in our hearts to be true. And so God, because he had a plan for a perfect creation, had to impose a judgment on the imperfect parts of his creation. He said, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And we all have incurred that same death penalty when we sin. And so God has a judgment day coming. That's what the Revelation verse is talking about. He is going to judge the imperfect parts of his creation. He's going to put them into hell. Then he's going to throw hell into the lake of fire. That is how God's plan works out in the end. But John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe in Jesus, then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you don't have to go through that same judgment that will cause you to end up in hell. So God, throughout this entire plan, has assessed. He has assessed things and he has initiated, independently of what other people think, processes for us to follow 
for us to be reunited with him, to be part of the plan, the proper plan. This is a wonderful demonstration. It shows that God is thinking of us. He cares for us. He's thinking ahead for our sake. And so right there, you can see that this is something that we should be doing ourselves because this is the reason for our salvation. If God didn't have initiative, we wouldn't have an opportunity to be saved. And besides that, God tells us that we should be like him. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So if it wasn't enough for you to see, oh, God is a God of initiative, so I should want to be like him. God specifically tells us that we're supposed to be like him. He is giving you permission to go and make change in the world. It's really a wonderful thing. And it's a bit of a scary thing to the people like us who don't really naturally have that, but it should be an empowering thing too, because now a new set of doors, new opportunities are open to us that we might not have opened ourselves. When God is telling us to take dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the creeping things that creep on the ground, he's telling us to take control of them. That's what dominion means is control. Now, we know that we have a limit to that control. He's telling us, though, to try. I want you to try to take control of the things that are around you. If it's radio waves that are invisible to us, I want you to try to take control of those and create the radio so that you can listen to music. I want you to try to take control of technology and electricity and turn it into something useful and helpful and interesting. I want you to take control of the animals and I want you to use them for Um, There are many benefits, whether it be food or clothing or fuel. He's saying, take control. If you see that you can take something and make it into something better and good, then I want you to try. So for those of you who are out there who have an idea to do something and you think, man, it would be so good if this were just a thing, then God is saying, I have given you that idea. I want you to try to make it happen. Now, I have to be careful with this because what I don't want you to say is that God says that I have control and so I'm gonna take control and I'm gonna declare that I have control over everything. That is not true. That is not how that happens. God says in the book of James, you can't even tame your own tongue, okay? So don't try to think that you have control over everything. But he's saying, I want you to be active and proactive about taking control. So that is one reason that you should try to take initiative in your life. Reason number two, great things can happen when we take initiative. So to demonstrate this, I'm going to use two stories from scripture, including three characters. Okay, so you have Naomi, you have Ruth, and you have Esther. Starting with Naomi and Ruth, Naomi was a woman who was married, and she had two sons. They got married to foreign women. Naomi's husband died, and then the husbands of her two daughters-in-law also died. Now, Naomi loved these two daughters-in-law. Even though they were foreigners, um, she said, you know what, I think that it would be better for you to go back to your own land, to go back to your own household, so that you can get married again. You shouldn't stay with me. Um, And when she did that, the two daughters-in-law cried. They didn't want to leave her. But one did end up leaving, And one stayed with Naomi. She said, no, I'm not going to leave you. I want to be with you. I want to go where you go. And I want your God to be my God. So right there, we have um, two women who are acting with initiative. One is saying, I'm looking ahead. I'm assessing what's happening. And I think it would be better for you if you left. 
because I want you to have a happy life. I want you to go and get married again and have children. And the other woman is saying, you know what? No, I'm assessing things and I want to stay with you. I think it would be better for me if I stayed with you. And Naomi said, all right, you can stay with me. So Naomi takes Ruth and they both go back to the city of Naomi's husband, her deceased husband. So at this point, we have two widows. They're not supported by working husbands. Um, They're kind of in a tough spot. But what Ruth does is she takes another act of initiative and she says, I'm going to go try to find people who I can work with. I'm going to harvest some of the grain so that we can eat. So remember, this is a foreign woman in a Jewish nation and she is trying to work the fields of the Jews. This would not have been a very easy thing to pull off, but she ends up going to this field. She's not afraid. She asks very politely if she can follow those who are harvesting the grain and she picks up grain for her and Naomi. So Naomi finds out that this is one of her dead husband's relatives and that he has the power and authority to redeem this family. If he marries Ruth, then Ruth will be taken care of. Naomi will be taken care of. And so what Naomi does is she says, go back to this man, lay at his feet while he's sleeping and remind him that he is supposed to be our family's redeemer. This is another act of initiative on Naomi's part. When Ruth does this, Boaz remembers, you're right, I'm supposed to be redeeming this family, but I've also remembered that there's someone who's closer in family relations to Naomi, and so I need to go ask for his permission to redeem you. I can't just do it without asking him. And so he goes, he takes his own initiative. There's just so much in this story, and he goes and he talks to this relative. This relative says, yes, I will redeem Naomi and I will redeem her land. But then Boaz says, okay, well then that means you're marrying this foreigner, Ruth. And he says, okay, I'm not going to do that. Just kidding. And so Boaz says, all right, well, if you want, I will do it. The relative says, yes, go ahead. That's fine. And so this story ends up with uh, Ruth finding a husband. Naomi is taken care of. The family is redeemed. And this family, Ruth and Boaz, end up being in the line of Jesus. They have a child together, and this is one of the ancestors of Jesus. So this is an incredible story where someone who was in a very tough spot looked around and said, you know what, I think I can take a little bit of control and try to make things a little better in my life. Ruth did it by staying with Naomi. Naomi did it by sending Ruth to Boaz. Boaz did it by talking to his relative. And in the end, they had a beautiful story that made it into the oldest book in the world, and they got to be part of the line of Jesus. Great things happen when you take initiative. So now we have another story of another woman whose name is Esther, and she is a Jewish queen in a foreign nation. So everything is backwards from Ruth. There is a man named Haman who hates Jews. He hates Jews because Esther's uncle Mordecai won't bow to him, even though he is the second in command in the entire kingdom. So he gets mad. He gets the king to sign this decree saying, on this certain day, I am allowed to kill all the Jews. He orders the first Holocaust. The king doesn't know that his own wife is a Jew. And so Mordecai finds out about this plot. He comes to his niece, Esther, and he says, listen, you have got to talk to your husband. You've got to talk to the king and tell him he can't do this. He has to try to put a stop to this. And Esther says, well, then this is what I'm going to do. I want you to go back, tell all of our Jewish neighbors that they need to fast for me 
for three days. They need to not take any food, and I'm going to do the same, and then I will go talk to the king, tell him about what's happening, and if I die, I die. The reason that she would die is that it was wrong to come into the presence of the king unannounced. He was that much of a big shot that he thought that he could just kill anyone who entered his presence unnecessarily. But Esther comes in, she talks to the king, he doesn't kill her on the spot. He says, what can I do for you, my queen? I will give you up to even half my kingdom. And she says, I would like you to come to a banquet and you can bring Haman along too. So the next day comes, the banquet is held. Uh, Haman is there. The king asks Queen Esther, what can I do for you? I will give you even up to half my kingdom. And she says, I want you to come to another banquet tomorrow. And it's for you and for Haman. So what she's doing here is she's being smart. She's being tactful in how she phrases it because she has put the king and Haman on the same level with how she said it. She's taking initiative. She's thinking ahead, assessing the mind of the king and how he would react to being put on the same level as his advisor. The next day, they have the second banquet. The king is presumably suspicious of Haman, He's and he's more used to Esther's presence. He's reminded how beautiful she is. He's more inclined to give her what she asks. And so he asks, what can I give for you? I'll give you even up to half my kingdom. And she said, I want you to know that someone is planning to annihilate my people. Someone is planning to kill all the Jews, and I'm a Jew. And the king says, who did this? And she said, Haman. And so the king kills Haman. And this act leads to Esther being able to protect all of her people from being slaughtered. And it's an amazing story. If she had not gone before the king, if she had not taken the initiative to fast and pray to God, if she had not thought ahead to try to work at the king's heart a little bit, offer two feasts rather than one, then this may not have ever happened. This is initiative. It's such a powerful, powerful tool. And it's why we need to take it because great things can happen when we take initiative. And now reason number three, why should we take initiative? Because terrible things can happen if we don't take initiative. And all I'm going to do to support this is use two different sets of verses. First is Revelation 3 verses 15 through 17. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is God talking in the last days to one of the churches who clearly has not a lot of initiative. They have decided to sit back, relax, not do a whole lot for the kingdom. And then we have Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's quite a few, but it's a powerful story, and so I'm going to read the whole thing. This is talking about what will happen if we don't take the initiative to come to know Christ before the final judgment day comes. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm the kind of person who doesn't, I'm probably a one talent servant. What I don't want to have happen to me is that I don't invest the money somehow. Either I need to go and work for it or I need to invest it with the bankers. This podcast in itself is an act of faith for me. Taking this step, I thought maybe I one day could do a podcast. That would be a really cool thing. But my wife said, no, just figure it out. Figure out how to set up the camera, figure out how to edit the video, figure out how to edit the audio, and just do it. And so I did it. And so far, it's gone pretty well. Um, I may not be the most talented podcaster out there, but at least I'm doing something. And I'm doing something that I believe in. So this is a uh, great thing for me. But I don't want people who have ideas to leave those ideas behind. I don't want them to bury their talents. I want them to use their talents because God wants them to use their talents. So those are the three reasons why I would say that everyone needs to have initiative because God has initiative and he tells us that we need to because great things can happen when we take initiative and because terrible things can happen if we don't. Now I'm going to go into reasons why if you have a lot of initiative, you need to be careful about how you use it because not all amounts of initiative are good. Reason number one, proper initiative requires proper discernment. There are times when you may think you know exactly what you're supposed to do, but it's not exactly what the Lord wants you to do. A good example of this is in Luke 10, the story of Martha and Mary. It says, starting in verse 38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Martha thought busyness was the same thing as proper initiative just doing the next thing and the next, washing the dishes, making the food, serving the food, cleaning up the food, all this stuff. But God said, no, actually in this moment, as good as it is to serve, it's actually better for you to listen. It would be better for you to sit calmly at my feet. Initiative does not mean always being busy. Sometimes it means resting. It means taking in. It means rejuvenating yourself. And so a verse that I want to use to support this is Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So for all of you who are ready to go out and go get them, 
make sure that you have proper discernment for what you are trying to accomplish. Is this what you want to do or is this what God wants you to do? There's a very distinct difference. This leads right into reason number two. Proper initiative does not come as a response to pressure. This may sound like I'm contradicting the Esther story because there was definite pressure from Mordecai, from the situation that Esther needed to go talk to the king. But what I'm saying is if your response to pressure is lacking a trust in the Lord, then it's improper and you shouldn't do it. So we have three examples of this from one person whose name was Saul. He was a king in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. There is a situation where there is a Philistine army coming to attack the Israelite army, of which Saul is the head. And King Saul has been told to wait for the prophet Samuel to come and make sacrifices to God so that they can have victory over this Philistine army. He waits and he waits and he waits. Samuel is not coming. And so what King Saul decides to do is to offer the sacrifice himself, which he has not been commanded to do, which he is not authorized to do. He does it anyway. Then Samuel shows up, sees the sacrifice, and he says to Saul, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And Saul said, well, I waited for you and you didn't come. And he was under pressure. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So there was an immediate problem. There was an immediate consequence for Saul not listening to the word of the Lord. So when we have an idea for something we know needs to get done, and we feel pressure, and we feel this time frame, this clock ticking down, we're like, we have to get it done right now. The important thing is doing it with trust in the Lord, not doing it according to some human time frame. In chapter 14, Saul is chasing these same Philistines. They're running away from him. As they're marching, King Saul says, I don't want anyone to eat anything until we catch up with these guys and we kill them because I don't want them to be a threat to me anymore. But what happens is his men get tired. They get hungry. And one of his sons ends up eating something. And then Saul finds out about it and he almost kills his son because he is under pressure. He is fearful of these guys. He doesn't want them to come back at him after this battle. And so he almost kills his son for this. This is not proper initiative because he's doing it in response to pressure, not trusting in the Lord to fight his battles. And then lastly, in 1 Samuel 28, a lot more has transpired. Saul is not pleasing the Lord as the king of Israel. God has abandoned him. And so Saul is trying to find some way to survive this next fight against the Philistines. And he just knows that without the Lord, he is not going to be able to do a thing about it. So what he does is he chooses an alternative. He goes to see the witch of Endor and he says, call up Samuel for me, who has passed on. And she calls him up and he says, why are you talking to me? You know that you're not going to win. You're consulting with a witch. What, what are you trying to do? You think that you can override God's plan, God's purpose? And so this is another response to fear and to pressure. And so all this to get this point across, don't do things in response to pressure. 
Let me make this a little more personal. My wife is a quality time person. That is how we connect. There will be times where we have gone too long without going on a date, without spending real quality time together, and she will just get sad and she'll get angry that I don't understand her and um, she doesn't think that I care for her. And that always makes me feel terrible. And so my mind immediately starts thinking, okay, well then I need to take her out on a date and we need to go do this or that. And so I suggest it, but she's already in that mindset. Like, no, it's too late. You can't do anything right now. You cannot show me that you love me after the fact. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to respond under pressure. I'm trying to respond and make things better in my own strength when I can't. I have to ask the Lord to create initiative in me that will cause me to take her out on dates before things like this happen. So again, I repeat, if you think that you have an idea for a step that you should take in your life, make sure that you slow down and you find out whether that is what God wants or if it's just what you want. So Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, had this burden on his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He heard about uh, how they'd been broken down, burned, And he just said, I need to go fix this thing. I need to go help my people. And he ended up fasting and praying that he might be able to go and do this thing for four months. The project, when he did end up going, only took 52 days. 52 days. He fasted and prayed double the amount of time that it took for him to actually complete what he'd set out to do. And so don't think that God has to use you right now just because you feel like it needs to be right now, okay? Slow down. Make sure that you're not responding outside of trusting in the Lord. Point number three for making sure that your initiative is proper is that it's God-inspired and it's communal. Initiative is not a solo sport. The things that we do in life are not meant to be done alone. There are parts of things that we're supposed to do alone, but most of the time, it's communal. God wants us to work together with the people around us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have created these people. Some of the best ideas and the best initiatives come from somebody just saying, hey, I have an idea to a group of people. That's not a phrase that you say to yourself. Hey, I have an idea. You say it to people. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So this is mostly talking about the communal aspect. But what do I I mean? Why why does it have to be God-inspired? So if you look at the etymology of the word inspired, uh, it is from Latin, the word inspirare, which means to blow into or to breathe upon, to inspire, excite, or inflame. So in my life, there was one moment that I look back to that was the most inspired moment in my whole life. The moment where I just felt something well up inside of me, something I knew needed to change, and I immediately took a step to go and do it. It was when I was 16 years old. I was at a uh, summer camp, and the pastor was preaching about not living your same Christian life over and over again, not growing up in the Lord. He was preaching out of Hebrews 5, one of my favorite passages now because of this message. I felt so convicted when I was sitting there in that seat. I knew that I needed to rededicate my life to Jesus because even though I'd been saved when I was young, I 
I had been living the same Christian walk over and over. I wasn't progressing. I wasn't becoming more sanctified actively. I wasn't trying to be in communion with God. And so he invited people to come up to the front and to rededicate their lives or to give their lives to Jesus. And I was way in the back. This was a big tabernacle and there were hundreds of people. And immediately to my left, which is where I would have had to walk past to uh, go up to the front, was my brother and my friends. And I knew I would have to physically stand up. I would have to walk past them, maybe ask them to get out of the aisle because the pews were thin and they would know what I was doing. I would have to humble myself and say, I haven't been living a godly life. And I'd have to walk up that aisle and I felt like they would judge me. I thought, can't I pray this prayer in my seat? Can't I just stay here? But I knew that I had to take that step. I physically had to move my body uh, to submit in a physical way to what was happening to me inside spiritually. And so I did. And as soon as I got out into that aisle and started walking toward the front, I felt freer than I have ever felt in my whole life. And I knew, I knew that even if I had been saved before that moment, that was when I became a real Christian. That is when I became powerful and filled with the Spirit and ready to do what God wanted me to do. I was I was a soldier right then. And so that's what it means for you to be inspired and to take initiative is when God gives you something that's so strong and so powerful that you have to move. And if you don't move, you are going to regret it. You're going to regret it. Last point, I'm going to hammer this one down. God's timing is not our timing. In that moment, I had to get up right then because that moment was short. It was going to pass. That tabernacle service was going to end. I needed to do it then. But on a lot of things in life, it's not always an immediate action. So this is Revelation 6, 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. These people felt like something needed to happen immediately. And they were asking someone else to do it. Most of the time, we think we have to be the ones to do it. But the point is, it's not God's time. God had a time set out for when he would avenge the souls of those under the altar. But he he said, not yet. I'm sorry, you have to wait a little longer. But what he did was he gave them a robe. He gave them something to hold on to as a deposit saying, I will do this thing. I promise you, but it's just going to have to be later. And that's what we need to do. If we're not seeing our initiative playing out the way that we think it should, or we're blocked from taking the steps right now that we think we should take, look for the thing that God is holding out to you saying, just wait a little longer because he's always going to give something to you. Matthew eleven two. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John thought, 
okay, Jesus, it's time for you to revolutionize the world. It's time for you to bring your message. It's time for you to become global. And Jesus said, I want you to tell John, even though you may be giving up faith there in prison, I know it's hard for you to hear about my small potatoes ministry right now. I need you to know that there are big things happening. Big things are happening and it's going to get bigger. This is what I'm giving you to hold on to. Please hold on to it. Don't give up. So for those of you who have a lot of initiative, these are my four points. Proper initiative requires proper discernment. Proper initiative does not come in response to pressure. Godly initiative is God-inspired and often communal. And God's timing is not your timing. Please remind yourselves of those truths next time you're tempted to make a rash decision or a rash vow. So now we're on to application. What do we, what do, we do with all this knowledge? What do we do with all this initiative talk that we have had? It's easy. You think about what your passions are. What do you love to do? What do you think the Lord has gifted you in? What are those talents that he's given you? Has he given you 10 talents for music? Then go try to be a musician. Has he given you five talents worth of uh, passion for kids or community? Then go try to figure out what you can do with that. If he has given you one talent, just one, to create a small business, then go try to make a small business because God wants you to take anything that he has given you and multiply it. He wants you to use it. He wants you to bring glory to his name through that thing. You need to look at your life backwards and think, where do I want to be in the future? And what can I do now to reach that future? All for the glory of God. What have I been given? What can I do? And then you can start taking steps here and now to make that happen. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope that this has been helpful. I hope that you have really gained some knowledge about what scripture has to say. I pray that if you are like me, you have been empowered to start taking your own initiative. I ask you to like and download the podcast, rate it, send me comments, um, go support me on my Etsy shop, um, share this with your friends because I want the whole world to know exactly what Jesus has to say to us young men. I appreciate you all. I will see you on the next episode. Until then, be strengthened. We'll see you next time.